Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello, and welcome to the new episode of Pharma Launch Secrets. I'm joined today by Karen Batusi. She's a vice president of medical communication strategy and execution at Enheal Agency. She's a hybrid consultancy agency and a software company dedicated to digital communications in life sciences. She was previously associate vice president of science communications at Sanofi and head of R&D communications at Noah Nordist. And she is based in Copenhagen, as I learned, and I'm looking forward to talking to you today, Karen. Me too. <laughs> Hi. All right. So the main topic of today's conversation, or the direction we'll take will be omnichannel in the context of pharma launches and medical affairs, a function that has always been a little bit in between R&D and commercial. So but before we start any of that, uh, let's first go through some of the definitions. So people use multi-channel, omni-channel. The omni-channel, I think, is one of the buzzwords of the year. So what is for you the term omni-channel? What does it mean? Yeah, no, thank you for asking, because I, actually I, I don't really like the term omni-channel, but I'll make the distinction between multi-channel and then try to tell you what I think omni-channel really is. Multi-channel, as, as we know it, has been, at least as the industry has used it, has been a way to push out the same content on different channels, multiple channels, right? And so when we say omni-channel, we don't mean just a you know multi-channel on steroids, right? That's not what we mean. We mean actually pushing out content that actually creates much more of a, a conversation, much more of a dialogue with a physician. And that content is not the same. You, you create a number of touch points along a journey using different channels, hence the omni-channel. It can be both offline and online, digital. And basically what you're trying to do is also gather some insights along the way so it really becomes more of a two-way conversation. And you understand what is that physician a particular physician interested in? What are they clicking on? Are they answering a questionnaire in a certain way that's basically telling you they're interested in this, that, or the other? Have they gone and looked for information that you posted somewhere based on a link? And did they spend a long time there or not much time at all? And how do you then follow up that touch point with other content that is more relevant and timely and really meets the, their clinical needs. And that is omnichannel. It's much more strategic than tactical. And it's much more about having that responsive dialogue with a physician that is, that's customizable as well. Thanks, very clear. And so now in the context of where it becomes really tricky, now medical affairs. So medical affairs as, as a function, sometimes it's more commercial, sometimes more R&D. And traditionally, when we talk about even multi-channel, has medical affairs have been focused a lot on offline channels, whether it's, you know, MSLs, whether it's uh, presence at the conferences, whether it's scientific symposium, symposiums or scientific publications. When we talk about the channels that are online and digital, where do you see biggest challenges, biggest opportunities for online channels when it comes to medical affairs? Yeah. So let's, let's take a look at who medical affairs is trying to talk to, right? And what it is their goal is, because their goal isn't at the end of the day to sell the most product, even though 
that's the ultimate goal of the company. The goal of the medical affairs team is to really build relationships and trust, right? To really make themselves be seen as by the doctor as a source of, of truth on the clinical data and what the clinical data tells them about the product and how they should be using it in their practice. And so I think that Omnichannel really is an opportunity for them to take that engagement. They typically put all their eggs in one basket. It's usually a Congress. It's usually a publication, that kind of thing. And to really extend that engagement, both before the Congress, for example, and during the Congress and after the Congress. So what you're doing is creating a seamless engagement, many touch points for the doctor to, to, to seek information or get information. And And really, if you think about it, after COVID-19 and maybe even before, doctors are definitely using digital channels more often. They had to for a while under COVID, and they've realized how much more convenient that is, how much more it fits into their busy schedule, and how it puts them in the driver's seat when it comes to the type of information they are getting. So I think medical affairs should use that to their advantage and say, Doctors are already going online looking for information. Why don't we meet them where they are? Why don't we get them excited about our new data so that when we release it at a Congress or in a publication, they are really you know, keen to hear more about it and they come to us and ask more information because they see us as credible sources of translating clinical data into clinical practice. And I think that's, that's where Omnichannel offers medical affairs an opportunity to broaden their engagement to make their engagement more satisfying to the clinician and and to them, and to also gather insights into really critical insights into why aren't physicians changing their behavior? Why aren't they considering a new product? What are the barriers? What are the triggers? One thing when, when it comes to my mind when I think of medical affairs and digital communication, to your point, like you cannot take one event-based offline channel like a conference or a symposium and turn it into continuity of communication before, during, and after, as you said, and create maybe enduring material uh, that doctors can access in a convenient way, as you mentioned. Now, one challenge that I've seen in medical affairs departments is oftentimes there are these debates on whether medical affairs can do anything proactive or everything has to be reactive. And for example, there are clear rules, for example, MSLs. And so let's say that the medical affairs team is preparing a launch and what are the kind of things that in their enduring material that they could put on and start attracting doctors, right? Because commercial teams could push ads and bring doctors to, to the specific content. Well, medical affairs, depending, I've seen depending on the company, smaller company is a little bit more open to things like that. So the bigger the company, the more concerns are everything has to be uh, reactive. If everything is reactive, even though you have like a great material, but you cannot invite anyone, no one comes. So I was thinking, how do you solve for that? And is the solution to focus on, you know, pre-launch and disease-related communication where you don't have any risk of talking about anything about a product? Or how, how do you solve for that c- continuous tension that exists uh, of anything in medical communication side? So I think there's a bit of a lag, but I hope, hope that connection's not going to, we're not going to lose it. But yeah, well, how you solve that is by basically asking the question, who said, who made the rule that medical shouldn't be talking, it shouldn't be talking proactively? And and what is it exactly they're not supposed to be t- talking proactively about? Because is it because commercial doesn't want medical saying different things? Is that why? Is that the main reason? 
maybe. But basically, I think that there's a lot of conversations that could be had earlier on um, pre-launch. I definitely agree. Pre-launch is a good time to start talking about what is the unmet need and listening to doctors to understand how do they describe the unmet need versus what the market research is saying. Because then that language and that understanding of the unmet need from the clinician can then be shared with commercial. And then you can position your product using the right language and the right positioning in order to really meet the doctors where they are, really, rather than trying to push them there with marketing. So that's one area, right, is, is to actually, you could broker with commercial that when, by having that conversation earlier, by opening up the doors to conversation, you're actually getting a lot more insight into what is really going to get a physician to feel that this product is valuable for their patient based on that dialogue, right? Um, you, get, you get a lot of insights from what are their current barriers? Why, are, why do they do what they do? It's not always rational, you know? Uh, I think one thing we forget is that doctors are human beings as well. And, you know, they're not just customers and prescribers and that kind of thing, they're, they're humans. And we hope that they're trying to do the best for their patient, but they're up against a lot of obstacles and it could even be on the patient's side. They may not believe that a patient is ready to take an oral medication because they may believe that they won't be compliant. Where is that belief coming from, right? And how can a pharmaceutical company help to dispel that belief or do a patient campaign or some kind of a educational campaign that helps to, um, to, to promote compliance? So, so that's just one area where, where I think medical affairs could open up that conversation around the unmet need, around the clinical you know, um, determinants of behavior and then provide those insights to the commercial team. So that's one way to get over the internal friction. And then obviously you should not be talking, no doctor and no medical affairs person should ever be talking about an off-label indication. Um, that, that We know that, right? That firewall is up and they're never going to do that. But why can't they be talking about the clinical data, published clinical data? I mean, and what it's telling us, Right. Published clinical data is telling us a lot about what classes of drug, for example, so we don't even have to speak product, but what classes of drug and mechanisms of action are actually best used at different points in a disease progression, for example. And they could be having that conversation with the doctor, talking about the data. What is the data telling us? What is the body of evidence telling us? You can't expect the doctor to be, you know, to, to know your data inside and out, but you as a medical affairs person can, and you can share that. What is that clinical story that's being told by the data? You can share that with the physician in advance of a launch. Yes. Things like uh, guidelines, let's say, and the classes of drug, as you said, is something that definitely could be used for communication. And Guidelines are evidence-based, right? Yep. So guideline updates, updates to guidelines are based on the evidence, right? So you could be talking about why is there an update to the guideline? Why now? Why can we do this now? And it wasn't recommended before. That's because there's been a strength of data behind that. And that's something you can definitely to speak to. And to what degree your company has generated some of that data, that's, that's fair. That's fair game. Now, when it comes to medical affairs and digital, so last year I spoke at one of the conferences, uh, MAPS, uh, South American Affairs Professional Society. They had U.S. and European conference. And one of the things, there was a lot of interest in, in like digital channels and more people. And a lot of them were asking about questions of their 
careers and how do they learn more? How do they build their competency? So where do you think that medical affairs stand compared to commercial when it comes to this digital competence and omnichannel competence? Some call it digital maturity. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, medical affairs does have a, have a certain degree of digital fluency now. They have to understand, and, and let's face it, this should be right up their alley because it's data-driven insights, right? It, it's data analytics that they should be good at. They should understand what are the KPIs that we should be measuring on different channels. What can we measure, first of all? What should we measure? What kind of data can we collect? How can we make sure that that data is robust? And then make sure that there are systems in place to actually collect it analyze it, and then act on it, right? And MSLs, you know, the, the ones in the field, they need to be better at understanding when a, when a key opinion leader tells them something, shares something with them, is that an insight that you can act on, you know? And if it is, then share it. Make sure you don't just keep it to yourself or, and they need to be able to recognize that. So there's, there's both the digital competency side of it and be, making sure that, that they understand how data analytics work, what kind of data they can collect, and the limitations and strengths of that, of that data, and then make sure that the company is actually doing it, right? Actually collecting it and acting on it. And then the other is that recognize that you're collecting data all the time, offline as well. And that data needs to be captured, and it needs to be aggregated, and it needs to be analyzed, and you need to look for trends, and, and you need to be able to understand how to read data basically. In those new ways of doing launches and and um, using various channels in a harmonized way, coordinated way, and omni-channel to reach doctors, what is the role of content and pharma-produced or medical affairs-produced original content? Uh, where does the content sit? Is it more on-demand content? Is it you know proactive, reactive, like before or after the visit? It kind of amplifies what is done in person, is a content amplifier or is a content like really the anchoring piece and then everything else is an amplifier? What are your thoughts on that? That's a really good question, actually. And I'm not sure I have a definitive answer for that. I mean, the way I see it with going back to omnichannel is that is a, a dialogue or a customer journey you're creating and you're trying to customize that as much as possible to be relevant and timely for the physician. And that is should be driven by the physician. So the journey through that channel, the, to that plan, that engagement, should be driven by the physician's interests, right? That's what makes it customized. But the universe of possibilities, the universe of touch points, the universe of content, the universe of, of messaging is definitely orchestrated by the pharma company, right? So I definitely still see content as king in many ways, but that's also because it's my field. But I definitely see the context as, the, as really the game the game changer, right? So is are you talking to a person face-to-face? -face? You need to be able to listen, right? And show that you're listening and you're not just spitting out something you memorized because that's not very engaging, is it? And if they're pulling on information, you need to understand what's the most digestible way for that doctor to receive that information. Is it an infographic? Is it going to be a sound bite? Is it going to be small, you know, insights shared in a bite-sized way to fit into their busy schedule, that kind of thing. So I think the content is still king. I think the content and the way in which it's packaged needs to be understanding of the physician's reality, of their of where they're getting the information, when they're getting it, where they're getting it from, and 
it needs to, to some degree, follow, you know, be able to meet their interests. So you have to anticipate what are the issues they're going to be interested in, make sure you can put that kind of content in front of them or speak to it. So various formats, and, and I hear what you're saying could be, you know, different formats and depending on the context of uh, when it is used. And then that creates a, a, a lot of pressure, what I hear, see lately for pharma. Because suddenly, you know, there is a need to produce way more content. <laughs> and there is also a need to produce various formats of content. Because for years, there have been like a way that certain things are done when you're preparing the launch. So you no need to have this kind of specific collaterals and medical affairs and marketing and sales. Now, there are all these options. Like, yes, yes, infographic and video and audio. And then different contexts, as you said. So... In my conversations with pharma, I, I see like feeling of uncertainty and the pressure to deliver and sometimes overwhelmed with all of that. So I know you guys have been working with some of the clients. Some I saw publicly, there were a few webinars, I think it was Nova Nordisk or a few other companies. So, and, and there was a notion of content supply chain. So what does pharma team that wants to win with content on the channel, how do they need to think about setting up, assessing what they have, and then creating potential content supply chain. Anything you can share that's you know available in public space that that you shared about your clients, case study or best practices, like how to even start thinking about content supply chain. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, this is where it becomes difficult because pharma is not really doesn't really embrace change that quickly. They're usually slow to change, and especially if you're working in siloed parts of the organization. And that's where it's actually better if medical affairs was to embrace it, then they could really go full on, right? So this is where we get into terminology like modular content, right? And activator and Viva and, you know, these different um, content platforms. And I think where those become really relevant is that they do allow you to work more efficiently. Because as you, as you just said, we're talking about if you want to be customized, it just sounds absolutely impossible, right? Um, it sounds like how in the world can you possibly do that? You couldn't have that kind of content sitting at your fingertips ready to use. But if you actually embraced the modular content concept, you know, where you have really small, almost like what we're here in Denmark, so I'll call it like Lego, right? Like building blocks of communication, where each discrete building block is evidence-based, is cleared by MLR, you know, review and everything, but you can put it together to make a different conversation, right? A different story. It can be a story where a physician is, yeah, more interested in safety maybe than they are safety in a particular patient population than they are in competitive efficacy or something like that. You know, there could be many different avenues in which that could go down and you could use modular content to be able to then construct what it is that physician needs to see in order to answer their questions. And that content can be created in advance, can be done in those discrete pieces that are able to be mixed and matched to build a conversation that is much more customized to what the physician is asking about. It does re require a very different way of, of, of looking at content, a different way of creating it, and a different way of, of also anticipating where the conversation can go. You can also use chatbots functionality here. Chatbot is a is actually not an open-ended conversation in pharma. It, it's, it can very much be a, a conversation flow, right? Close-ended. And at the end, you could so you can try to anticipate putting in front of the physician, you know, questions and or answers that are that are taking them at least 80% of where the, uh, the information they need. And then for that last 20%, 
you can offer to have a face-to-face exchange. Do you see what I mean? So, so you can build a you can build a, a closed loop universe of content and a chatbot conversation, for example, that really answers all the low hanging fruit in terms of questions. But when a physician really wants to go into something more detailed or something more specific, or really understand something that maybe is even off label, to understand what the clinical data is behind that, then you can offer them a meeting with an MSL or a, a med, you know, a medical person. And so what you've done is you've created a situation, a funnel, if you will, using modular content and or content built in a chatbot to actually make sure that that exchange, that face-to-face exchange with an MSL is much more productive. It's much more relevant, relevant. And it's actually, guess what? Driven by the doctor, which is a much more welcoming engagement than having a cold call by an MSL. You know, it's the doctor who's saying, can I have a meeting with you? Can I have a virtual meeting with you? Can I meet you at a Congress? Because I'm curious about this. And it's not answered in the chatbot. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we are on the same page in the way we communicate to the market. And uh, in other industries, the, the starting point was the buyer journey has shifted. And in this case, we can say prescriber journey uh, has shifted. And in a way that end user prescriber has now access to way more information and they appreciate the convenience. So their first thought is not, hey, I'm going to talk to another human being when I have a question. Their first thought is, hey, I'm going to conveniently try to access that information, try to educate myself to a certain level so that this 20% that you're mentioning, we are actually using the 8 to 20 in our, in our okay. kind of assessment for that. <laughs> so those 20% when I'm in front of a human being, I'm respecting their time, they're respecting my time, and so and I'm coming with better questions. So I'm at the bottom of the funnel, if you will, like more technical, more detailed questions in the same way that even patients nowadays goes to a doctor and asks better questions, hopefully, <laughs> because of reading something online. So that journey has shifted you to access of information. And and another dynamic that you mentioned is, is uh, I was reading between the lines or hearing between the lines, is a push versus pull, because in this setup where 80% is convenient content, I'm content is being pulled. So I'm as a physician, I'm going there searching, maybe it's a chatbot, maybe it's a website, maybe it's an app, but I'm coming there. So I'm being attracted by the content where instead of being pursued by another human being. And then when I have interest, I will basically be an inbound lead. So now I have a question. I want to meet you at the conference. It's better for both sides. I think it's actually more cost efficient and more you know, time efficient for pharma is just setting this up. And more satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. More meaningful conversation and a likely better result. Now, the question is uh, modular content that you mentioned. It's a whole another topic and, and a big topic. I think the advantages of speed and efficiency and even languages and, and things like that. Uh, now, the question is organizational. You know, you, when you work with clients, so, and they say, well, totally agree with you. And that's exactly like how it should be a push and pull and content, human beings, everything we talked about. So where do you need to have like first buy-in or is that commercial? Is it medical? Is it actually C-level that needs to believe in it and kind of let's set the teams to work together peer-to-peer level with commercial and medical? How do those conversations go? So I think it is C-level. And the reason I say that is because we are talking about a siloed organization typically. Okay, so typically there isn't one decision maker. There isn't one person who's going to say, this is what we do. Right. And if a company wants to get full value from it, 
Now, I know I'm contradicting myself a little bit, but if you really want to get full value from it, it should be, a, it should be the way you work across the different areas. The reason I'm contradicting myself is because I think that's probably too heavy a lift in terms of change management. So if you could just embark medical affairs, for example, right? And say, okay, medical affairs, we're going to work in this way for the very reasons that you and I just discussed, right? So that we can make sure that that face-to-face interaction is extremely constructive, right? And, and that that physician and that MSL meet each other at a place where that's actually going to move the needle on prescribing, okay? Much more so than key messages on a product are, right? Because the physician's going to feel like they asked the questions, they got the answer, and now they know how to use the product, okay? And they'll probably even have a specific patient profile in mind when they ask the questions. And all of that is moving much closer to prescribing your product than you were before. So if you can embark the whole medical affairs organization, because it will require that they be, that they're set up differently, that they resource allocate in a different way, that they outsource some things, obviously, to set up the technical platform, uh, that they learn how to use it, and then maybe become internal ambassadors for it, I don't know, um, across the rest of the organization. But because, because I really do think it should be something that commercial and medical work on together in order to create that alignment. But, but I do think that it will appeal to, to medical affairs. I think that the mindset of a medical affairs is much more everything that can be put into a format, right? Uh, you know, like a structure should be put into a structure. And then that leaves much less to sort of that organic free for all kind of situation, which is kind of can be a little bit scary to a pharma company and, and to a doctor as well. They shouldn't have to, you know, you know, memorize all that and then and re- be able to regurgitate it. They should be able to have a real clinical conversation, clinician to clinician conversation about where their product is best used and in which patient is it best used. And that's what you're setting it up to do. And I think, so I'm not totally answering your question, but I think that, yeah, starting at sea level and making sure that, that there's a organizational commitment to setting up the infrastructure, the skill set, the, the right kinds of alliances that you'll have to have with, with, uh, with external consultants to support that. And making sure that the whole MLR process, the medical legal regulatory review process, is on board. Yeah, and it's an interesting uh, dynamics on on what level to of the company to to start with. And I feel like, given that COVID accelerated things that usually take five years, accelerated to I think one year. I feel like a lot of these topics are now getting like sea level attention more and more, at least what I'm seeing lately, than it used to be. Even if you see like the number of chief digital officers in the industry, you used to be where it is today. Now pretty much every company has a chief digital officer. It wasn't like that even three, four years ago. So things have... have, That's true. But I found, at least in my experience, that when you work with these digital officers, they're very detached from medical affairs. Like they're much closer to commercial. And you have a hard time why do you think that's the reason? Uh, because I think that they think that, or the organization thinks that commercial is the one that's going to take advantage of this digital revolution. And I think they haven't really seen medical affairs as really driving this because, because of what the digital channels offer. They offer the physician much more autonomy and they offer a real basis for a relationship versus a sales pitch and customer. Um, relationship. And I think that hasn't quite 
been grasped. I think they're just, they just see it digital as a way to reach more people and get more sales. And I don't think that's, at least that's not how I see it. I see it as having much more potential, much more real potential that actually will lead to better patient care. I agree. I, I can tell you that I, I developed a little bit of a theory on that, that even for folks who've been working in pharma, but haven't worked in medical affairs, oftentimes the question, what there, there is an unanswered question of what, 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 what is medical affairs doing? What, what, what is their goal? So people have a little bit of confusion and lack of clarity on that. So, and they have someone in pharma. Now you bring a chief digital officer from another industry. And medical affairs really feels like a black box. <laughs> like, like I get it, but I don't get it. Like, what are you going to do? How do I measure number of insights? Well, I'm not really clear. And I think that, okay, let me focus on what I understand. Commercial, prescription, or something, you know, connection with IT. Yeah, permissions. R&D. Yeah. So I think that there is a little bit of, like, just like sense of non-familiarity and like it feels like a little bit something there. That, that kind of le- leaves out medical affairs to like find your way on, on your own. And then when you explain to me clearly what you do and have one specific like use case and KPI, then maybe I'll support you as a, as a chief officer. Let me bring in another point, though. I think that, you know, we've been talking about a dialogue, right? We've been talking about creating a dialogue. And that's a two-way situation. And, you know, in all my years of working in pharma, they have never embraced two-way communications, ever. And it's just a scary place for pharma. And so I think that that when people, that's why when people, when big pharma talks about multi-channel, they talk about emails and they talk about webinars and they talk about pushing, you know, like you talked push and pull before. They talk about pushing out a lot and, and creating, yes, repositories for content where doctors can pull it in a gated kind of way. But what about real dialogue? What about really opening up to an exchange. You know, I'm sure there, there, there are probably some regulatory considerations around that, but that is what I think medical affairs should be doing. And that's where I think digital platforms and digital, you know, technology is allowing for, for that more of a two-way conversation or a small group conversation and exchange in real time. And that's why I think that maybe pharma doesn't see itself in there. And when they hire a digital person, they probably think, they probably give them a brief, you know, that it's just one-way channels that you can measure engagement, engagement. What is engagement? Engagement is just clicks or permissions or that's not really engagement. That's my opinion. But Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of factors. So my, my true hope is that medical affairs is a kind of rooting for medical affairs function. That, Me too. Especially Me when too. it comes to digital, that, that they will win. Before we sh- uh, switch into any of the questions that we finish usually every uh, podcast episode, which are questions related to you and some of your preferences, uh, music and books and other things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is there anything anything else related to the topic we discussed today, omnichannel and content and medical affairs that I should have asked, but I didn't ask? I think that you asked the right questions in terms of what are the skill sets that medical will have to embrace in addition to what they do today? And are they ready to do that? Are they significantly motivated to do that. And it is really the data analytics part and understanding these channels and how to operate on them and how to package the content for them. But modular content could help in that respect. I do think that I think that medical affairs needs to take back what is it that they're really doing. They need to feel passionate about what it is they're really trying to do. 
even if it doesn't sound exactly like commercial. Maybe they're maybe they should need to be bold enough and say that what we actually want is a win-win. We want our products to be used in the most optimal way in the best patient profiles so that they perform the best, so that we can feel really good about what we were a part of bringing to patient care and that the doctor feels really good about choosing our product. And guess what? The patient is doing better. And I like to believe that at the end of the day, that is what this industry and and particularly medical affairs function should care most about. That's maybe naive. <laughs> no, it's uh, that's what drives that's what drives progress, I think that and, and I, I've seen medical affairs honestly over the last five to ten years get more and more attention as a function. And also with the rise of data, with the rise of real world evidence, with the rise of technology and AI, and then this need to have you know more launches but smaller launches and need to build trust in very specialty areas. Basically rise in its importance where compared to the times when it was like primary care, big you know, launches in, in hypertension and things like that. So for the very end, we I usually ask uh, guests uh, four or five like rapid fire questions to learn more about them so that listeners can learn more about you. So first one is, what is your favorite industry buzzword or what do you think will be the industry buzzword of 2023? I think it's probably going to be hybrid, but I don't know if it's been used too much already. So I think it'll be hybrid because it's, you know, face-to-face interaction is not going to go away. And after COVID, I think people are realizing they need that real person touch. And that's where the the, that's where the relationship begins, and it just continues with digital. It does not start with digital. Hybrid. All right. So what's the best book you read over the past year or two? Something that comes to mind that influenced you? I think maybe Fast and Slow Thinking still remains uh, the, the best book. I mean, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy was good too, but then that just sounds like I'm just saying that because it because it makes me sound smart. But, you know, I think there's some books that really are profound. I actually read a book called Mind and Body recently, which is how you connect your awareness of your, your mental awareness of your physical presence and how you bring those into unison so that you actually are much more in harmony. That was actually a pretty profound book, actually, but no one author. It was written by an institute, the Learning Institute. Oh, okay, Mind and Body. I haven't heard of it. Yeah. It's really, really good. I mean, profound, I would say, almost. And it uses art and 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 really, you know, evidence-based um, behavioral science and and neurological science, and to really understand how we tend to perceive ourselves in this world, um, and how there's this disconnect between what's going on in here, what we're feeling, what we're doing. So I think it's quite profound. Mind, but. All right. I'm taking a note. Send you. I'll send you. <laughs> What's your type of music when you go to when you need some inspiration? Oh, I go back to the old the old stuff in the 80s. It makes me feel young again. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, like the Beatles. I mean, I like jazz occasionally. It depends on what mood I'm in. If I'm sitting with some girlfriends chatting, then I just do some slow jazz in the background. So it's not interfering. But if I'm in a, in a, like a bar or something. I like hard music. I like rock music to like really just, I don't know, gets out, have an outer body experience. Depending on your context. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Good on you to bring that back. I like that. (laughs) And uh, what is the one sentence advice uh, you would give to someone just starting out in the life science industry? Well, I guess be the change that you want to see, you know, 
have keep hold on to that vision hold on to what what it is that made you interested in the life sciences and interested in going into in particular healthcare field and why you think that innovation in in healthcare is important and who that should be accessible to hold on to that and be that change I know it'd be the change that the uh, quote was from Gandhi, right? So it's yeah, stayed with me for exactly. four years. Yeah, be the change you want to see in the world. It's a good one. And where can people find you online? LinkedIn, pretty much. Ant Hill, any Ant Hill posts or whatever. I'm I'm part of that whole universe now, Ant Hill Agency. And I follow a lot of people. I you know people who are having an interesting conversation. I I just jump in, and I like people who are pushing the envelope and who still have hope. You know, it's it's sometimes it can seem like a pretty dark world. You know, we're facing a lot of of really tough times. I think both economically and and in terms of the U- war in Ukraine and and what's happening, the instability. And I really love people who who still keep the light shining. So yeah, yeah. I, in linked, on LinkedIn mostly. <laughs> I'm not on Facebook that yeah, much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or on TikTok. All right, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for joining me as a guest today. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. I I appreciate being able to express some of my thoughts and, and I really appreciate your good questions. So thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix like on demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.